You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. John chapter 5 we've been looking at <clears throat> recently. And uh, if you like to open your Bibles to John chapter 5, starting at verse 18, uh, we'll look at our text for today. And starting at verse 18, it tells us this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In verse 18, Jesus was calling God his own father, it tells us, making himself equal with God. So before we get into our passage today, let's quickly recap the claims that Jesus has made in the previous verses to show that he is equal with God. We read these a couple of weeks ago in the first half of John chapter 5. Firstly, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Therefore, he is not subject to the rules of the Sabbath. He was doing these things on the Sabbath, it told us. And Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus does exactly what the father does, including the miracle of healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For as the father does, the son does likewise. The relationship between the father and the son is so close that there's nothing hidden from Jesus by his father. In verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Then Jesus will do even greater works than the healing of the paralyzed man, because that's what the father intends to do. The second half of verse 20, the greater works than these will he, the father, show him so that you may marvel. 
And these greater works will include raising the dead back to life because Jesus has life within himself. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And their relationship is so close that the father entrusts Jesus with all judgment. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. And that is for the purpose that Jesus would receive the same honour as the father. In verse 23, that all may honour the son, just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. And Jesus expands on these claims throughout the rest of John chapter 5. So as if Jesus' claim to equality with God is not enough to enrage the Pharisees, he goes on to claim for himself, for himself both the power and the authority to determine the eternal destiny of every single human being. And that includes the Pharisees who are busy judging him here. The same people who will one day pass their final judgment on Jesus and crucify him in a futile attempt to silence him. In verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear my word and believe him who sent me, Jesus says. When John writes in his gospel about hearing the word of Jesus or hearing the word of God, he usually means more than just simply to hear. He means to hear with faith, to hear in such a way that you believe and you trust him. So when Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, he means for us to understand a number of things. Firstly, because there is such unity between the Son and the Father, when Jesus speaks, he is revealing the heart of the Father also. Because there's such unity between the Son and the Father, believing Jesus is the same as believing the Father who sent him. And this hearing is a hearing with faith, a hearing with an intention of responding, not just listening in as if you're eavesdropping on a conversation. And those who respond with faith to Jesus' word receive eternal life immediately. Eternal life is not just some future gift or prize. It is a present possession for those who hear with faith. And receiving the gift of eternal life means that judgment and condemnation have been removed. There are a few more things implied in our text that are important to help us understand the whole passage. Our natural disposition is to believe that we are alive first and then we die. And that's certainly true from a physical perspective. But from a spiritual perspective, from a biblical perspective, we are all dead first and then, God willing, we're made alive. But being made alive is dependent on us putting our trust in Jesus Christ to make us alive. 
Being made alive is what the Bible calls being born again. Now, that, that's a difficult concept for people to understand, people who are not Christians especially. It's counterintuitive because we're so in touch with our physical self that we rarely give any thought to our inner spiritual self. But if we're being honest, we all know that we're broken inside. Unfulfilled dreams, strange, strained relationships, bad habits that we can't seem to beat, unwelcome thoughts that invade our happiest moments, anger that seemingly comes out of nowhere, and loneliness, and emptiness, and confusion, and doubt, and despair. Something is not right within. It's the reason people turn to alcohol or drugs to deaden the pain. It's the reason why the quest for love can degenerate into promiscuity. And it's the reason why the desire for relevance often leads to abusive power struggles and exploitation of others. Something's not right within. And the Bible explains that something by telling us that our relationship with God, the relationship that's designed to remove pain and provide love and acceptance and relevance, is broken. It's broken by sin. It's broken by the sin nature that we inherit from our parents. It's broken by the sin that we commit every day because we want to. And it's broken by the sin committed against us by others, the sin that wounds us so deeply. Our relationship with God is more than just damaged by this sin. It's completely severed. We are dead towards God. And we're completely unable to resurrect ourselves. But thank God, there is someone who is able to restore us back to life back to spiritual life and to health. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is not talking here about some future time when the dead will climb up out of their coffins and graves. He's talking about a present reality. Truly, truly, he says, that's a pretty common saying from the lips of Jesus. He says, truly, truly, more than two dozen times in John's gospel. And in fact, he says it three times in this passage alone. And every time he says it, he means to get your attention. He means for you to sit up and take notice. He's saying, pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is important. Don't miss this. An hour is coming and is now here. Jesus stands outside the tomb of your dead heart and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He stands at the edge of your grave and he calls out to you, Arise, get up. The hour is now here when Jesus calls you back to life. If you are dead, it's time to listen. It's time to listen to his voice calling you. It's time to hear. It's time to believe and to live. For those who hear, those who believe, will live. Why would you not respond? Do you enjoy 
being broken? Do you want to remain dead and decaying, becoming more putrid every day? Wouldn't you rather know what life feels like? Wouldn't you rather look at the world with a whole new perspective, through new eyes that see the beauty of the creation around us and see the precious value of every single person made in the image of God? Wouldn't you rather have that burden of guilt and shame and worthlessness lifted off you so that you can walk with a clear conscience and a spring in your step? Wouldn't you like to be able to look at your own pain and suffering and trials and declare, genuinely declare, we rejoice in our sufferings? It is possible to rejoice, not just endure, but to rejoice in your sufferings when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. For you know that your sufferings serve a greater purpose. They are not without meaning. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. And that's what Jesus Christ offers you today. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you hear his voice and step out of your tomb, your whole perspective on life changes. Everything looks different. Everything looks new. It's why the term born again is such an important Christian term. People have been saved by Jesus Christ later in life and often saved out of a life of despair and degradation and hopelessness, frequently say that they feel like a new person. That's because they are a new person. They have been born again. They're no longer the old dead and decaying person. They have life, new life, real life, eternal life. Born again is not just Christianese for getting religion. It's a real experience. And it's not reserved for the future. For an hour is coming and is now here. Now Jesus can do all this, of course because he has life in himself. He doesn't have to source it from somewhere else. It is his to give, and it is his to give abundantly. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now You may remember the story in Luke's Gospel of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to every doctor, and none of them could help her. And she heard that Jesus was in town. And so she crept up to him through the crowds with the desperate thought, if only I touch his garment, I'll be made well. And as soon as she touched the hem of her robe, of his robe, her bleeding stopped. Jesus knew something had happened. He said, who touched me? Peter replied, in effect, Come on, Jesus, people are pushing and shoving and jostling and shouting all around you. Why do you ask who touched you? Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. 
power, life did go out from Jesus into this woman. Jesus knew it. He felt it happen. And when that life went into the woman, it not only healed her bleeding, it healed her soul, her spirit. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus wasn't only referring to her physical healing here. He was speaking of healing her inner being. He was telling her that she was one of the dead who had heard his voice and now lives. But even though Jesus knew that power had gone out from him, don't get the impression that power is a limited resource for Jesus. Don't get the idea that once he's used up his supply, that he has no more to give. He may have felt life go out from him into this woman, but he has an infinite supply of life to give. For he is the source of all life. For he has life in himself. That's good news, friends. All can come to him for life. He will never run out of supplies for you. He will never become tired of giving out life. You will never sap his energy so that he says, enough, I need a break, leave me alone. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's no limitation to how many may hear and live. Those who hear will live, all of them, without exception. Now things begin to get a bit serious though. Now all the happy thoughts about a good life, eternal life, turn towards something grim. For there are consequences to your choice to hear or not hear Jesus Christ and his call to you. You don't get to make whatever decision you feel like making at the time and not have to answer for your choice. For Jesus has the authority to execute judgment on every person who has ever lived. In verse 27, And the Father has given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Jesus is talking here about a future event. This is not the hour is now here. This is the hour is coming. It's not here yet, but it will arrive one day. That day may not be for a thousand years. Or it might be this afternoon. You don't know. So I suggest you take notice of the warning that Jesus issues here. He didn't say truly, truly, so that you'd glaze over and ignore him, thinking this is unimportant. The hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. No one escapes this. It doesn't matter if you're already dead and buried when, he, when that hour comes. You won't escape the consequences of Jesus' call upon your life. 
because physical death is not the end. And physical death is the beginning, is not the beginning of the next lap around the block either. Reincarnation is an attractive myth, but it's a myth all the same. Annihilation after death might be appealing, but that too is a myth. Rather, your conscious bodily existence continues on into eternity beyond. And what happens to you there is dependent on decisions you make while you are here. So this message is urgent. In verse 28, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now you might sail through life with no greater difficulty than whether to buy a Mercedes or a BMW. Life may be all beer and skittles, but don't count on that lasting. When this hour comes, all your trouble will really begin if you haven't done the right thing in this life. The judgment of your life will be based on whether you've done good or whether you have done evil in this earthly life. That, of course, raises a few questions. What constitutes doing good? What constitutes doing evil? And does this mean we're saved by our works and not by grace? Is this what Jesus is saying here? What constitutes doing evil shouldn't be difficult to explain. Serial killers, pedophiles, human traffickers, they deserve to be punished. Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, Nero, they deserve to be judged. Few people would suggest those people should get a free pass. But then we get into some grey areas. What about slave owners who treat their slaves well, even though they continue to keep them in slavery? What about shopkeepers who rip off their customers? Or workmates who let you take the blame for their mistake? Or a friend who lies to you to protect you from something hurtful? It's hard to know where to draw the line between what is so evil that it deserves to be judged and punished and what's not so bad that we can turn a blind eye to it. Of course, God doesn't have that problem. He knows exactly where that line is because he drew the line in the first place. And he makes it pretty clear in the Bible. Obedience to all his commands is the dividing line between good and evil. Those who obey all his commands completely obey without exception, and with a heart that delights to obey God, those people are safe. Are you safe then? Have you obeyed God with delight in everything he commands? A couple of weeks ago, I issued you with the challenge to get through a week, just one week, without a single sin, without a single sin in thought, word or deed. How did you go? 
were you successful? Surely even the most deluded person would have to confess failure here. And your answer condemns you. If you say, no, I haven't obeyed God, then you admit guilt and admit that you deserve to be judged. If you say, yes, I have obeyed God perfectly, then you're a liar and you deserve to be judged. It really is a no-win situation for you, a no-win situation for us all. So in the eyes of our judge, our righteous judge, we all stand on the side of those who do evil and will be resurrected to judgment. But it gets simpler than that. We don't even have to tally up the good things we do and try and weigh them against the bad things we do as if we could ever tip the scales over into our favour. Think back to the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have have eternal life. This sounds a little bit like what Jesus has been saying here in John 5. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The passage from John 3 goes on to say, For God did not send his his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It really is quite simple. When you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, you are immediately judged, condemned already, as Jesus put it there. Don't waste your time on a checklist of good and bad behaviour. You're judged on the basis of rejecting him. He is the only source of life and light. It's one of the very first things that John tells us in this gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So if you reject him, it's because you prefer the darkness to the light. And you prefer darkness to light because the things you do and the things you say and the things you think are evil. You don't need to be a mass murderer or a psychopathic dictator to do evil. You only need to reject the one who was sent to rescue you from sin and death and alienation from God. On that basis, everyone in the world is, by nature, evil. For we all have a disposition from birth against Jesus Christ. That still leaves us the problem of whether we're saved by our good works. Remember, Jesus said those who have done done good will come out of their tombs to the resurrection of life. One thing we know, or at least we should know, is that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And the Bible from beginning to end tells a story of salvation and not 
of salvation by good works, but salvation by the grace of God extended to rebels and received by faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that better than anyone, for he is the word of God. I just quoted the John 3.16 passage to you that makes it pretty plain that resurrection to life is on the basis of believing in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes is rescued from condemnation and judgment. And whoever comes to the light of Jesus Christ for rescue reveals, according to John 3.21, that his works have been carried out in God. John has been making the case over and over again in this gospel that it is faith in Jesus Christ that rescues us from judgment and condemnation and eternal death. In the next chapter of John, Jesus makes it even clearer. After miraculously filling the bellies of more than 5,000 people, John, Jesus says to them, this is John 6:26, Truly, truly, there's that saying again, sit up and take notice. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. A bit further on in that discussion, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What does it mean to do good that you will participate in the resurrection of life? Simply, it means to put your trust in Jesus Christ, who has done perfectly what you and I were unable to do, to fully obey God's law. When you do that, his perfect obedience is credited to your account. It's one part of what is sometimes called the great exchange. Whatever good works we do then are a result of our salvation, not the cause of it. They flow out of the fact that God has made us new on the inside. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Friends, there is a warning here from Jesus that we dare not ignore. Jesus has unapologetically declared himself to be the judge of all humanity, whether living or dead. None will escape his notice. None will sneak under his radar. All will be judged according to their works while they live. And the line between good works and evil is very clearly defined. Have you believed in Jesus Christ, the Son sent by the Father for your rescue?
Yes or no? That's where the line is. The requirement for salvation is hear his words and believe the one who sent him. Could it be much simpler than that? He doesn't ask you to tidy up your life, to clean up your act, to resolve to do better and to stop thinking bad thoughts as if you could ever do that anyway. Instead, he says, come just as you are. Believe in me. Put your trust in me and I will do the work inside you to tidy up all that filth and mess and brokenness. Won't you do that now? Won't you turn to him now? He's calling out to you this very moment. Just ask him, Jesus, I hear your voice calling me. I believe that you are the son of God who came to rescue me from the judgment I deserve. I ask you to wash away the inner mess that separates me from you. And I ask you to give me life, new life, eternal life as you have promised to all who hear your voice and come. Maybe you've been overwhelmed by the pandemic and by bitter politics and by the circumstances of life and taken your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've lost your way and wandered away from him for many years into sin. Or maybe you've prayed that prayer for the first time. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will never need to fear judgment. His judgment is just. His judgment is perfect. And he keeps his promises to those who trust his judgment. Believe in the Son of God and have eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, is only you that has life in himself. And you offer that life to all who will hear your words and believe the Father who sent you. Jesus, I pray for all those who may be listening, may listen to this in the future. Lord, that they will have ears to hear your words that they will have hearts to believe the Father who sent you and that they will receive eternal life. Jesus, I thank you that eternal life is not just something we can look forward to in the future, but is a present reality. That It's not just a life that never ends, but it's a quality of life that begins the moment we put our trust in you. It's a quality of life and a confidence in you and your promises and your ability to keep those promises that it allows us to have confidence in the face of chaos, to have peace in the face of war and to know that all our problems, all our suffering, even all persecution is not without purpose, Lord, but it achieves something for us and for your glory. 
Jesus, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters, that you will write these words on their heart. That you are the one, the only one that we can turn to for life. And that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, we look with hope and expectancy to that day when we meet you face to face. When you return and you call out and the dead rise from their tombs and their graves to face before you, Lord, and we will face you with confidence and a clear conscience. Jesus, because you have poured out your blood on our behalf, you have taken the punishment that we deserve for the evil that we have done and the evil that we have thought in our rebellion against the Father. You've taken it on yourself, carried the punishment for that on our behalf so that you can extend grace and reconciliation and redemption and life and hope to us. Jesus, I pray that you will give us all the peace that passes all understanding as we dwell on these things. And for those who don't yet know it, Lord, I pray you'll open their ears to hear and to believe and to receive. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.